Hello, hello. My name is Jess, and this is Patient POV. Um, once again, a few housekeeping things from the beginning is um, my name is Jess, like I said, and uh, you can find me on Instagram at Jess underscore and underscore Elda, which is E-L-D-A, the name of my service dog in training. <laughs> um, and then anything that is discussed today, um, there's kind of a, a review on what's discussed in this podcast episode. Um, and so that can be found in the description, as well as some links to specifically some books uh, for this episode. There's been some books that were recommended, um, so you can find some links to that as well. So today, speaking of this podcast, um, we had the chance to speak with Shannon, and she had she's a mom. She has multiple chronic health conditions, and um, really, we got to see a really good point of view on somebody who has been struggling with chronic health conditions for a really long time. And so and by really long, I mean more than like a few years. And so it was nice to hear her perspective. She's done a lot of self-work and she has learned what has helped in her body. So you got a lot of good recommendations and books to read. And so this was a really great episode for that. Um, and then on my end of things, so last week, we didn't post this uh, just because I was still in exam. So on the Sunday, I ended up doing an exam and submitted an assignment or something like that. But I'm officially done this semester. So we are on holiday breaks. And so I'm going to try to edit a bunch of videos. And I'm also going to be recording um, some more over the break. So hopefully we'll be able to keep back to a once a week schedule. Um, but I do appreciate your patience. And I do know that most of the people who listen either know somebody with a chronic health condition are somebody with a chronic health condition. So I do think and hope that there's a little bit more understanding when it comes to not having enough spoons in order to get something done. So um, yeah, but I hope you all have a great week and enjoy listening. Thank you. Hello, hello. How are you today? Um, well, I'm better now. <laughs> good, good, good. Pumpkin always solves our issues, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or makes things a little bit better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so why don't you just start by um, introducing yourself and sharing a little bit of your health background? Yes. Um, I am 48 and I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, I'm Native American. So I'm from a couple of the tribes, uh, Cherokee Nation. And so I moved to Austin, Texas um, in 2014. And uh, we love it here except for the weather. But the people here are so, so friendly. So we, we really needed a change. And we moved here on a whim. I had got Guillain-Barre syndrome back in 2014 and almost died. I was paralyzed and I was in the hospital for a long time. And we just decided life was too short. Um, so let's go explore the world. So we, uh, we were looking at houses on video and we just didn't have a big plan. And I've always been a very organized person. So just to go where you don't know people and just kind of start all over you know um and my son was in second grade at the time mm -hmm. okay yeah 
Um, but my journey of chronic pain, I didn't realize this till years and years of meeting with various neurologists and therapists, all kinds of doctors. I have been dealing with chronic pain since I was 10 months old. Um, I had third degree burns on the back of my hands. I was trying to stand up on those old stoves that had the glass window and my mom was baking. And so uh, I burned my hands really bad. And then from there was just a lot of weird um, illnesses. You know, I had a lot of uh, bladder and kidney problems that would kind of come and go. And so really it's, you know, there was always something from a very, very young age, but the big one was in 2014. Um, I was 32 and that's when I got the Guillain-Barre syndrome. Mm -hmm. And would you be able to explain a little bit about what that is for anyone who doesn't know? Yes. I often tell people it's like having a combination of MS, multiple sclerosis, um, and Parkinson's. I have a lot of mm. kind of jerks and shakes, like someone with Parkinson's. I have a lot of the joint and muscular pain that people with MS um, have. So they did uh, check me several times to make sure I didn't have MS. Um, but it's a, a rare neurological condition. And unfortunately, a lot of people are getting it from vaccinations, um, even from the COVID uh, vaccinations. So you can get it for multiple reasons. Um, usually it starts with like a virus or some type of infection. Uh, I had a respiratory infection. So I had that. And then I had a lot of stress and deaths in the family and it all hit me at mm -hmm. once. Um, but it's a lot of, it's widespread pain. Um, it's neuromuscular and um, it's very hard to diagnose and very hard to manage. Mm, yeah, no, that that sounds like a, a challenge for, for sure. Um, and during your time of getting diagnosed, and I know you were mentioning that it, it, it's been quite a while you've been um, struggling with this, what, what have been the biggest struggles you've been facing throughout this time? Yes, I, I think when I was first diagnosed, I thought pain was going, you know, widespread pain was in difficulty walking. You know, I fall a lot. I still fall a lot. I thought that was going to be the hardest thing to manage, but actually it's fatigue, just mm -hmm. overwhelming fatigue. Like you're trying to swim across the ocean with a backpack full of bricks. That's what it feels like sometimes to move. Yeah, so fatigue, um, I have to divide my day into two pieces and I have a nap in the middle. And if I don't do the nap in the middle, then I fall asleep at 6 p.m. So <laughs> at least now when I have a phase one and phase two of the day, I can make it all the way to 11 o'clock. There we go, yeah. Get your whole day to enjoy. Yeah, yeah for sure. And so uh, napping, of course, is a, a great one, but has there been any other coping strategies or mechanisms that you found have worked out well? Yes, um, I had never, ever done meditation or breath work. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I had some doctors uh, recommend doing that. And so uh, I meditate and I do breath work every single day. And if I mm -hmm. skip, then I end up paying for it. Um, so that's just something I do no matter what. 
Um, I also do a lot of light therapy, which I was doing right before I came on. Um, I have some infrared heat lamps, and then I have a seasonal affective disorder lamp. And you don't necessarily have to have the the SAD in order to get benefits, you know, from light therapy. Um, so I had researched a lot of uh, this information and doctors are saying, if you get sunlight in your eyes, the first 30 minutes you're awake, then it really, really helps. So I do it in the morning for 30 minutes. And then I did it uh, for about 30 minutes uh, after I first uh, chatted with you. So yeah, that, that has been key. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. I haven't heard anyone say light therapy yet. And so that's a really good one to remember to use. Yeah. It, it is effective. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I, I take vitamin D as well. Mm -hmm. But a lot of um, people with neuromuscular conditions are low on vitamin D. Um, mm -hmm. So that's where, you know, it showed up one time in my labs that I was really low on vitamin D. I think that's how when I started researching uh, light therapy. Yeah, no, that's really awesome as well. Um, and then when we're talking about challenges with getting diagnosed and whatnot, um, how has your journey been on, you're saying you're in America, in, in the American healthcare system? Yes. Um, with Instagram, I'm able to connect with everyone from all parts of the world. And I've been comparing the socialized medicine model with what we have here in the U.S. And it is so, so different. Mm -hmm. So, so different. Like way more than I ever, ever thought that it would be. Um, like here, we uh, we have to pay for everything. We pay an insurance company um, certain amounts taken out of our paycheck. Plus we have to pay for all the labs uh, co-pays there's the co-pays get really really expensive okay. and even even in 2023 I've noticed um, scheduling it's really hard especially there's like a six-month wait to get in to see a neurologist in the U.S. oh wow yeah yeah, yeah. and so, pre so previous yeah yeah go ahead um, previously to 2023, you're saying it's like six months now. Previously to that, how long had it been before that? Um, it was probably about two or three months. And then after okay. COVID, it's even it's even worse now. It's mm -hmm. um really put a huge strain because a lot of people didn't want to go to the doctor or have surgeries. They put everything off during COVID. And now the backlog, the system has not caught up. Um and we're short of uh, doctors, nurses. It's it's becoming a real issue. Mm, yeah, for sure. And then within the doctor-patient dynamic, have you mm -hmm. run into any issues, or has your journey with doctors been pretty good? Um, it's it's been a rough one. But one thing I will mention, I don't know if you guys have access to this, but I have um, concierge medicine where I pay an annual fee, like 150 US dollars a year to be able to text my primary care doctor anytime I need to. Um, and that's worth its weight in gold. I mean, yeah. So my primary care doctor and nurses are amazing, amazing. They're so compassionate and they really, they don't rush you in and out. They really take the time to listen to you. 
um, and you really feel like you're, they're not just telling you what to do. They're asking, what would you like to do? Are you comfortable with these medications? Are you comfortable with these treatments? And a lot of times I'm not. Um, a lot of pain pills, opioids have been pushed on me and I'm just not comfortable taking that amount of pills, you know, um, every day for the rest of my life. So, um, with primary care physicians, um, you know, have a good relationship with, but, uh, neurologists, um, because I have a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of symptoms that come and go. I had some bad, uh, visits with neurologists, you know, they're basically, you know, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me because I kept having seizures and I'm like, do I have epilepsy? And they're saying, no, you don't have epilepsy, but there's nothing more I can do for you. Go away, basically. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of, you know, unfortunate experiences. And I drove from Texas all the way to Cleveland, Ohio, to go to the Cleveland Clinic, which is kind of like the Mayo Clinic, um, to get a second opinion about the seizures and about the pain. And um, I did like a three-week chronic uh, pain rehabilitation clinic where it was outpatient, but it was very intense. We did occupational therapy, physical therapy. We did a lot of group therapy and individual therapy. And it was kind of like a whole package. And that was probably the first time I felt like I was getting an integrated functional medicine approach that was going to talk, I mean, focus on healing the mind and the body and not, you know, uh, just throwing pills at you. So a lot of the things they taught were coping, you know, coping mechanisms, how to manage a life with chronic pain without having to rely on tons of meds. Mm. Yeah. And so do yeah. you still do those groups now? I, uh... um, that's what, uh, when I was there, I met a lady who started a nonprofit called the American Chronic Pain Association. And she just happened to be at the same clinic that I was at 30 years before me. And she was, I mean, everything happens for a reason. The director of the program was still there when I went. And so they said, you know, I think it's really important for you to get into a support group. And I looked in Austin, Texas, and there were no chronic pain support groups. There were some individual, like you had an arthritis group or a fibromyalgia group, but there was none focused on just uh, chronic pain. Um, so I started my own group in Austin and I was affiliated with American Chronic Pain for about seven or eight years. Um, and then during COVID, we stopped meeting in person and then I discovered the world of Zoom. And so now I've created my own support group and it's called Chronic Pain Connection. Oh, nice. That's wonderful. And can anyone in the U.S. join or is it region? -based? Yes. Um, yes. It started out being like a Texas thing, but now um, actually anybody uh, in the world is welcome to come. The only problem is time zones get a bit challenging. Um, <laughs> uh, but if I can add one of my future goals is to add more time zones and more groups um, and more focus, like an international, uh, focus. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, so jumping to the next question mm -hmm. would be, how has 
your support system changed? I know you've, you're talking about decades worth of having chronic illness. Um, mm-hmm. How has your sort support system changed and how has that affected you? Do you find it important, that kind of stuff? Yes. Um, my husband went with me to the Cleveland Clinic and he attended group therapy and he got to hear what other people in chronic pain are going through and, and realized, you know, it's not all on my head. You know, we're all going, this room full of people, we're all going through the exact same thing. And he got to meet other spouses and family members. Mm-hmm. And really, um, he said he got a lot out of it. And he didn't understand what I was going through till he sat in this room with people, you know, from all over the U.S. talking about their pain journey. Um, so I, I incur, and in my group, people are welcome to have their family members or friends come. Because I really think it's important to involve the support system, you know, to invite them to meetings. And then even if they can't come, just to be up front, you know, with your friends and family and just say, you know, I have a lot of medical challenges. There might be times I need to cancel on you. It's not personal. Um, you know, just to be up front with people so there's no confusion, you know, like, oh, that person canceled on me again, you know. Yeah. 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 And having those um techniques on on those conversations that you need to do and how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. For sure. Um, you were mentioning before that you typically have a nap in the middle of the day. Do you have a, a kind of a daily routine or a, a day in the life of you? I do. Um, I do start out with the 30 minutes of light therapy and mm-hmm. uh, with with my coffee and I do adult coloring books. Coloring is so, so relaxing. Um, a lot of people like to do journaling when they first wake up. I do not. <laughs> um, I love coloring and I faithfully color in my coloring book every single day. Um, and then from after that, I if I don't have doctor appointments, then I try, you know, I'm on Instagram a lot. I'm trying to make uh, videos and spread awareness and um, so I work on that for a couple hours and uh, try to maintain, I'm doing everything myself. So mm-hmm. I'm a bit overwhelmed, you know, <laughs> trying to manage my uh, website and uh, my book sales. This is my book um, that I self-published and it sells on Amazon and just trying to get the word out there, you know, awareness. And so it, that part is really time consuming. Um, but when I break into my meditation, I do something that's called yoga nidra. It is a guided meditation. So uh, I recommend that to people that are new to uh, meditation or maybe have brain fog. It's kind of good to listen to that voice. And so that's kind of how I eat. I kind of slowly ease into the nap by doing um, the meditation that has breath work. And the breath work slows your heart rate and it it sort of preps my body for sleep. Mm. Nice, very nice. And then your afternoon is very similar to your morning? Um, not as I, I don't have as much energy in the evening. And um, neuropathy pain is typically worse at night. So my schedule was a lot slower um, in the evening. So I, it takes a couple hours to rally from my nap. 
Um, occasionally I will have seizures during my nap. So I'm a little bit hard to wake up, kind of groggy when I wake up. Um, but I do a lot of word search uh, puzzles to kind of keep my brain sharp. And I do that in the evenings and um, I have a lot, I go to the library a lot. So I read a lot of library books. So it's kind of my slower paced afternoon. And then of course my son comes home from school and I try to put a meal together. And then um, we usually go to basketball practice or something like that. Nice. Yeah. And and he plays basketball? He is six foot eight. And oh, he's, wow. Yeah. He's 16 years old. So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Might as yeah. well play, eh? Yeah. So the goal is, as of now, is to uh, go to go to college on a scholar, basketball scholarship if that's what our goal is, what he's in intense training for. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah he had a cool. game, game last night, and uh, so I got to watch it. I don't always get to go, um, just depending on how I feel, but um, lately I've been able to do more things in the evening. I used to never plan anything in the evening. Um, so lately I'm kind of gradually getting out for maybe go to, to a restaurant for dinner or to go to one game. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. he has like two or three or even four games in a day. That's just too much for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, I know this wasn't kind of one of our questions we talked about, but um, saying that you have a kid, how has that been from, he, he must have been younger when you got diagnosed and mm -hmm. how has it been being a mom and having chronic illness? You know, it's hard. Um, at first, I I thought, I felt less than, you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't good enough. Um, I couldn't run and play and do those sort of things. Um, and at first he, he had a hard time with it and we took him to therapy and cause he was acting out in school and getting in trouble at school. And so the therapist worked with him and said, he, he's afraid you're going to die since he saw you in the hospital. And that's why he's acting out. Um, but now I, we have a great relationship and I think, um, it's taught him empathy and mm -hmm. compassion. And so many people have told me that, you know, you've raised a great son. He's very polite. He goes out of his way to help people. Um, mm -hmm. so all the things I kind of worried that I was less than, um, I, it's good for, for people when I hear them, like, okay, maybe I'm doing something right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And then you're talking about mental health on all of this as a whole. How has your chronic illness affected your mental health? Yeah. You know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of what I talk about in my calls are about anxiety and depression. And because if you have a chronic illness and you've had it for years, uh, typically you're going to have some sort of uh, periods of depression or anxiety just to manage a chronic illness, just mm -hmm. all the money it takes uh, to get treatment and uh, try waiting lists to get in to see doctors. Um, it's just a lot to manage. So, um, and I try to encourage people um, on the meditation and breath work. Um a lot of people think, oh, that's just hippy dippy. It's not going to help. And, and I, I try to encourage people, even if you don't want to do a typical meditation, how about just get in a quiet room 
turn the lights off, turn off all your electronics, and just practice sitting for maybe just a couple minutes at first each day, just to kind of reset your mind, which thus is going to reset your body. Is kind of what I focus on. I heard something once from uh, a Dr. Dispenza. He says, you can't heal the body with the body. You heal the body with the mind. And mm. so that's why mindset and meditation and breath work um, and hobbies and journaling, all that plays such a huge part in the healing journey. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love that. And so you're talking about the breath work and the meditation. Um, you also mentioned coloring. Are there any other things that you do um, to either for mental health or just for you in your day that you yes. think are good coping mechanisms? Yeah. Yes. Um, gardening. Um, I try mm. to spend as much time in nature um, as I can. I think it's so important. And I do a lot of grounding stuff like walking barefoot through the grass mm. in the garden and just really connecting um, to the earth. And I noticed that when I'm walking barefoot in the yard with all the flowers around me, I it's such a great distraction. I don't notice how much pain I'm in at that moment. Um, and I also started doing going to the library and doing getting actual books to hold and I kind of put my digital Kindle down. Um, and by going to the library and checking out books, it forces me, oh, I've got to return them by a due date. So that gives me one more chance to get out and have a social outing. Um, hmm. And I also do a weekly Bible study at my church. And some of these ladies, we've been in the same group for 10 years and we watched our kids grow up. So I think social connection is so important because a lot of chronically ill people isolate themselves because they don't feel well. And then when you become isolated for a period of time, that's really when depression and anxiety can really play a factor. Mm -hmm, for sure, for sure. And so I know you're talking about this community and social. And so how has it turned into being on Instagram and you're, you're, um, creating your own group. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to be a public speaker, but as a kid, I was so, so shy and, mm -hmm. uh, I really had to really push myself. And, um, I feel like the reason I started the group is to find purpose because uh, with all the stuff besides Guillain-Barre, um, I'm officially disabled as of 2017. So I don't have a real job um, out, you know, outside the house. So, you know, it's just feeling when I first got diagnosed, I thought, well, what now? I have a degree in, in accounting and I've been in mm. corporate America for the last 15 years. You know, what am I supposed to do now? And um, when I went to the Cleveland Clinic, and they recommended the support groups. That's when I first got the idea. And um, I started out using Facebook. And then, you know, with all the algorithms that have changed, it became a little bit harder to get your message out there because sometimes they would, would block posts, that sort of thing. Um, so I find that Instagram's much easier for me to manage. Um, I don't know all the fancy stuff, but I'm learning Canva and Canva's free and you can make 
you know, memes or little messages. Um, so that's kind of where all that started. That's awesome. And then I know you showed your book, um, but do you want to just talk about what your book is about and um, how that got started? Yes. Um, well, I always wanted to be uh, an author, but I never, I could never figure out what I was supposed to write. And then when I worked in corporate America, I worked for IBM and Verizon, um, which are huge companies in the U.S., well, all over the world. And um, I was a training manager. I would write training manuals for software and then train groups of people, you know, with PowerPoint slides and, and that sort of thing. So I did a lot of training and I thought, well, what if I come up with a training manual for managing chronic pain? So that's kind of where it started. And then I had a friend here in Austin that had a writer's group. And so I went to some of her writing groups and they encouraged me. And then one of the girls was uh, a published author. She had had several books and she started a business helping people self-publish. So she helped me self-publish, but it took about five years from beginning to end. Um, there's a lot more pieces that you have to do than it was harder than I thought it was going to be. Mm, yeah. And what's the name of your book? Just for anybody who's just yes, listening. It is called Chronic Pain Hacker because it's mm. uh, giving life hacks for dealing with chronic pain. And then the sub part is because healing is hard. Mm. Um, so it talks a lot about the kind of roller coaster journey um, of managing a chronic illness. There's a lot of ups and downs and sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. Um, so I, I just wanted to give a realistic view of chronic pain. Um, so I, I talk about all from childhood, the trauma that kind of led to all of these conditions. Um, there is a good book that was sort of an inspiration for my book called The Body Keeps Score. And in this book, the doctor talks about how trauma is stored in your body. So people that have experienced PTSD will start having um, physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating book. I recommend anyone dealing with chronic pain um, to check it out. He doesn't go into detail of, of how to manage it. He just explains how your nervous system is stuck in the uh, fight or flight phase. And so um, before I forget, I wanted to show this one. Um, the Vagus Nerve, this is another book that was an inspiration to me that a lot of vagus nerve exercises can calm down the nervous system, which can calm down my muscle spasms and twitching. Um, so I'm really digging deep lately about all the different vagus nerve exercises. I incorporate that every day also into my meditation. Awesome. And I will, um, I'll try to add the book titles to the, the description of the podcast mm -hmm. um, for this episode so that um, people can refer back yeah, to it as I'll, well. I'll send you the official names. I'll, yeah. I'll message you those. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the last be one I want to mention, um, it's called The Missing Link. And it's a doctor who, uh, specializes in MS but I started reading her book and watching her videos and her podcasts and she's got a lot of solutions for people 
dealing with neuromuscular conditions. So you don't have to have just MS. Um, she has a lot of unique approaches to managing pain, increasing strength, increasing mobility. Um, so those are things I usually recommend to people in my group. That's awesome. Yeah. And then my last question for you today um, would just be if somebody's starting their chronic health journey, whether that be chronic pain or just a chronic illness, um, would you have any words of encouragement for them or words of advice to them? Yes. Uh, this one, I will look at my notes. Um, one, one thing that I learned in therapy uh, that applies is it's, it's called radical acceptance. And that's where you, uh, they gave this formula. They said, if you have pain plus non-acceptance of your condition, that can equal suffering. But acceptance plus pain can equal thriving. So it's sort of learning to see things as they are. Um, so radical acceptance is usually the first phase because a lot of people are in denial you know, uh, of their condition or their outlook. And a lot of people, especially in the U.S., just want a quick fix. Just give me a pill. That's, you know, that's the mentality. And, um, you know, and I do have some people in my groups that say, why are you talking so much about yoga or meditation? How is that supposed to affect my pain? And so I try to really uh, let them know the connection between uh, pain um, and uh, your mental health. Um, <clears throat> but really the secret, and I think it's a secret to a happy life for anyone, um, is to carve out joy in your daily life. Find more ways to make life fun and interesting. Like, for example, if you love books, what if you read a book in a beautiful park? every day mm -hmm. just you know really adding things that you love finding a new hobby doing something you've always wanted to do travel you know and I, I try not to see it as limitations but just challenges um just a different way of doing something um there's a quote I heard recently that says uh, it's a lady that has MS and she says I live limitlessly while limited so that's, you know, a lot of people when you, I don't like to use the word I'm disabled. I will sometimes say I'm uniquely enabled. Um, so I, I try to encourage people to pay attention to how they talk to themselves and mm -hmm. to give themselves grace, especially on bad pain flare days, to give yourself grace for your noble effort um, and just really, uh, kind of focus on your mindset um and then let's see oh uh, I try to set myself up for success like mm -hmm. if I know um like I do one thing like with laundry uh I have a pile of laundry sitting there so every time I go to the bathroom I fold two things and put two things up and so I just structure things different um, so I don't see them as limitations anymore. I, I just see them as a, a unique way of, of doing something. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Working with your body rather than against it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, that's awesome. Um, and then 
before we wrap up here, um, I forgot to ask you in the beginning, but I always try to ask my guests who come on um, if there's any shows or books or um, uh, movies that you've watched recently or read recently um, that you want to share. Just one <laughs> one thing that you're doing right now. <laughs> yes, th this is just for fun. This has nothing to do yeah, with- Yeah, no, 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 it's just pain. all fun. Yeah. It, um, yeah. I'm kind of embarrassed to say it. It's uh, The Summer I Turned Pretty on Amazon yeah. Prime. Yes. I don't know if you've seen the ad, but um, it's basically a modern day Dawson's Creek. Yeah, and, yeah, I've watched uh, it. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, Dawson's Creek was my favorite show. And now this is my favorite show. And um, I watch it every single day. And my, it gives me such joy. And my son teases me. He's like, mom, how many times are you going to watch that? Um, but, you know, when I guess people that have anxiety, watching something or listening to the same song over and over is very comforting yes very yeah. much so I understand that <laughs> yeah so if you're a yeah. girl and you like romantic comedy dramas then that might be the show for you the summer I turned pretty <laughs> yeah for sure for sure I totally agree I love it as well <laughs> well thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today I really do appreciate you you taking the time thank you so much it was a pleasure Thank you.